Warning, you never know what's going to pop out of our mouth. We may or may not use inappropriate language, but you, if you know us, you can guarantee we probably are. Warning. Don't forget to check out our other show, Music and Talk, with What the F is Ladylike, only on Spotify. Once we are able to dis- determine that this is a, an attack, um, then we will begin the acute care plan. So a lot of times patients come in and um, they should try to let the primary team know, like, hey, I have an acute care plan. I've established with my outpatient gastroenterologist. This way, the emergency room who's seeing the patient first um, can initiate that. Sometimes patients um, will also require a GI consult, so our GI team will be called, um, because a lot of times these patients we know from the outpatient setting, and we'll see the patient as well and help the inpatient team um, take care of uh, patients with sickly vomiting syndrome, because a lot of times the primary teams are still learning as well. The wind is a whipping. They're doing some shit over there. They're always doing shit. Thank you. 
do not have a patient advocacy. Nobody knows anything. Your nose is going to get fucked. This is Do you think they're going to go up to your brains? Your rights and responsibility. Didn't have it, right, Joel? No. But, Did, didn't know. But the universe is so great to us, and it answered our calls, and we saw it on the wall. So we took a picture of it. What's, what's up, up? What's up? I'm Sarah, the mother. And I'm Jewel, the daughter. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to What, what the, the F is Ladylike. She's got her results of her COVID test that we just did. What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? It's not there yet. It's not there. Okay, let's, okay she's, she's checking it. Better be negative because then if I can't get this procedure, that would fucking suck. Coronavirus, the results. Negative. No. She, mm. she ain't got no COVID. She's going through with the negative procedure on Monday. No, no, no. Good to go. Get to go. Now I gotta stay the fuck away from Get to go. We're we're about ready to go in and get her um two enemas. Two enemas. Two enemas. Yes. Don't know what that does. Flushes out your colon in a way. Pretty I much. guess. Like you shove it saline up your butt. Yeah. Okay, here we go. is the first time listening to us welcome 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 to our podcast 
too, I should actually find another primary because every time I go, she tells me it's in my head and she's pushing in expressions on so me. I think yeah. that also goes down the same line of just lack of potentially understanding and it's your providers really want to help you. I think we hear from primary cares all the time, I really want to help this patient. I just don't know how. Well, she says so, it's in my head, and then, like, I mean, I've had tragic things happening, and I get sick eight months after the fact, and she'll tell me it's, oh, it's a real delayed reaction from what happened eight months ago. So I, I would take it as a great opportunity to, to help educate, and then, you know, perhaps a second opinion um, with more a gastroenterologist is a good start, um, because I think more thinking of the fact that, again, it's really under-recognized. I mean, we have lots of primary care and, and even gastroenterology colleagues that are not as aware of a cyclic vomiting just because, again, there's not a lot of research. No. It's like you're afraid there. of life. You don't want to do anything because you don't know what tomorrow's going to happen because there's no warning signs of anything to come. Yeah. Well, I, I think that the biggest aspect is a loss of control mm -hmm. of your life. And there so, is. Yeah. It's like I live in the house all day. You don't want to leave. You don't want to go anywhere. You have to know where the next bathroom is before you walk out the front door. So the whole approach here with a prophylaxis is to try to get a regimen that's tolerated to try to claw back some semblance of control of your life. Part two. We're on part two. The continuation. The continuation of Jules' health. Fun, fun, all fun stuff. So we we left off, and Joel had given birth to Jackson. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like Emma. Her period started. Yeah, I luckily with Emma had a break. I, I mean, I was doing the same thing with. I, I mean, to the sea, I was breastfeeding, trying to make sure that that was like what I did because it would help my periods. I thought. And nope, uh, probably within after a month of giving birth, we I started my period. It was a hard and heavy one. And I feel like it's happened like it's normal for most people who give birth and they have their periods for the first time. But mine was like really hard and heavy. Because I was thinking... You know, with my daughter, because I, I was breastfeeding, you get you get a gap, you get a wait until your period starts. So I was thinking that was going to happen, and no, it didn't. It kicked into gear pretty heavy and hard. And unfortunately, because of having the episodes, I was that that's kind of the beginning of when I was having them all of the time, and I couldn't figure out why. And I couldn't breastfeed anymore because my son wasn't getting all of the nutrients because I wasn't even getting any nutrients. So we discovered and found out that he was lacking thereof. And so I was so upset. But honestly, feeding your child, feeding is best. Like whatever way it is, as long as they're getting the stuff they need, that's best. So I had to do formula. Shit was fucking expensive, you know, because, you know, most people are like, you know, breast milk's free. But I did both for a while, and then I was literally taking all my nutrients from myself to where I was withering away, and so I had to just strictly do formula with him. So how old was Jackson when you moved down here? He wasn't very old because you moved down on your birthday. He was born in October. Yeah, he was born at the end of October, so he wasn't even three months old yet. Um, it he was about two and a half months old. He would have been three months in January. Uh, that was 
pretty crazy having to make the decision because you know we were pretty happy in Spokane um where we were living and um we loved the area we loved the people that were around there and everything and but the whole thing it was was at that time things were just going downhill Simon was missing a lot of work due to me and my health we had to really prioritize and think of pros and cons of everything and what was important was for me to go be back with you guys and be with family because I really needed help. I remember having a conversation with you guys and saying, I think this is what's best for us right now. And that whole situation was very, very hard because I wasn't doing well. I had a brand new baby and I'm doing the best I could. And also my partner, Simon, he couldn't just leave. He had to finish out what he was doing up at his work there because this is the whole thing. He doesn't want to look bad for other. So he had to finish out what he needed to do. He also was up there with his mother and his brother. And so they, he kind of just, it was, I was, I had your guys' help, but I was like a single mom for like six months. Mm -hmm. And so Simon didn't get to see his kids all that often. And that was, it was, when I go thinking about that time, that was probably one of the hardest times that we really went through in probably my whole life. Um, But he would visit as much as he could but it wasn't as much as it, you know, it's just sucked. But, um, yeah, he, we moved in January. That's when all of our stuff to move down and everything, but he himself didn't move down until June, almost like almost July. I just, when I think about that time, I'm like, I could never do that. again. I did it. We did it, but I could never do that again, especially with where I'm at now. Yeah, I finally had established care here down in Oregon, which I feel like getting care here in Oregon is already hard to get into it and finding the people and all that stuff. But I got in, um, got a primary doctor. They had done referrals over to get the gastrologist, GI doctor, whatever you want to call them. And I would say I was going into the hospital fairly every single month. I didn't get a diagnosis of cyclic vomiting, I think, until towards the end of that year. So this would have been towards the end of 2019. They, to get diagnosed with cyclic vomiting, if anybody has done any research, it's it's not like a quick test. It's not a test that you get done to get diagnosed. It's they look at your long history of your health and they recognize that as cyclic vomiting. It's just like a Band-Aid diagnosis. That's what I would call it um, because they don't know what to do or call it or anything. And so I got that diagnosis and then... Um, and you got to remember what year was Emma born? 2015. In the beginning of 2015. So she was born January 2015, mm-hmm. 
and this this started happening before Emma. Mm -hmm. So if you think of how long that stretch was to even get diagnosis. So you remember in the last episode in the beginning, I had a doctor explain if you catch cichlid vomiting early enough, it may be hard to treat, but you know, if you don't catch it, then it's going to be a whole snowball effect with the patients. Yeah, and what that means is that you, your initial diagnosis is cyclic vomiting. And with all of these episodes that occur, that happen, it's only worsen, worsening your body and you end up with other illnesses. In 2019... You were diagnosed before cyclic vomiting with several other illnesses, right? Before cyclic vomiting? Yeah, because um, of my periods. So I was having heavy, heavy periods, a lot of painful periods. And they also, pr briefly right after I gave birth to Jackson, so 2018, I before I had moved down here, they had di diagnosed me with hemophilia. And if you guys don't know what hemophilia is, it's a blood disorder where um, the one that I have is my blood doesn't clot all the time. And I bruise easy. I can bleed easy. So with procedures, you bleed a lot. Also, um, I should touch base about this, was after I had given birth to Jackson, the doctor who did the delivery and everything had talked to me and my family mainly to me because I was the patient told me you cannot they're like it's not not that I shouldn't it's you cannot have any more kids due to if you have another baby either you or the baby is going to die like it was that serious and I remember that doctor explaining that your uterus was shaped as a heart yeah so I had a heart shaped uterus which was not normal it wasn't normal and I if I could look more into that too as well of what the difference between regular and a heart-shaped uterus but it makes it harder for a baby to form in your uterus because it has that cave of the heart shaped in there and so there was multiple factors of why I was told not to to get pregnant again and all this stuff so they either wanted to have me on certain types of birth control that would make it to where I couldn't get pregnant anymore or get my tubes tied, all this kind of stuff, which was, again, like a Band-Aid thing. And I was like, oh, OK, um, but that was that was what was told to me. And so I was having back going, fast forward to 2019 and all the move and getting established, all this stuff, still increasingly having all these episodes I got referred to the gynecologist and I believe in the beginning of that year, actually towards the end of 2019, beginning of 2020 was when I had seen the gynecologist and they first were bringing up stuff about my vagus nerve, saying that maybe your vagus nerve has it's damaged and that if your vagus nerve is damaged it's irreversible you can't fix that it's not fixable so i believe within february 
was when I had an exploratory surgery. And it was before COVID hit. Yes, it was like right before. And I had exploratory surgery because they were like, we need to see what's going on in there, try and give you some diagnosis, all this kind of stuff. So that was my first, besides C-section, that was my first major surgery of getting my stomach all cut open, my belly button cut open, all this stuff. So they did that, and within the findings of that, they had found that my uterus had adhered. So what adhered means means stuck like glue to my C-section scar. So the scar tissue that was in her in me, like it was stuck in there, like, and they said it wasn't, and it wasn't normal either because usually it's like a section of it comes off and it's just a little part of it that's there and it's like dangling and there. My whole uterus was like pushed up against there, stuck. And so they said that was, and everything that this, I guess I'm not normal. So they had to remove that from there and not have it there. And they did a internal bandage thing to try and make sure it didn't stick to any other things, but it only lasts so long. So I was thinking I was getting going to be hopeful that was going to help me with some pain and all this other stuff. And I feel like it did for a little while, maybe like a month or two, I got relief. I never do well with operations or surgery. So coming out of that, I was throwing up. I was not doing very well. In your heart, mm-hmm. your heart and your breathing. Mm-hmm. It depends on the surgery, but her heart and her breathing um, have a big factor. Yeah. And so I was trying to be hopeful, thinking that that was going to be, you know, yay. You you mean you think you get the operations and you're like, yay, I'm going to get relief. I feel like a lot of people are hopeful for that when they have operations. Yeah, a couple months go by and it's happening yet again. And I remember they, my, it was like, my doctors were kind of working together at this time and they had put me on at this time, it was an anti-acid medication. And that medication made me have my periods every two weeks. I was not getting a fucking break. And so it was, I was in the hospital all the time. I was in a lot of pain. I was bleeding all the time. There was, uh, at this time, I was bleeding so much. I was having uh, anemia. I was anemic. And I wasn't, and the whole thing is, is that your body, at least for women, has a certain amount of eggs that it's normal to bleed out. That's why you have periods. I was not having a normal amount of blood coming out. It was an excessive amount to where I was very, very badly anemic. So um, they stopped me on that. My It took a little while before my periods got back to its normal shit show. I remember having a conversation first with Simon, my partner, and going, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot have periods anymore. This is killing me. Like, I am my quality of health. I cannot take care of my kids. I need to be getting better because my kids are my number one and I'm not getting better, blah, 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 blah. And then I remember having the conversation with you guys and it resorted to where I said, I need to have a hysterectomy. The 
gynecologist that I was seeing, for some reason, they could not perform it. They could not do it, so they had to recommend me to a different gynecologist. And luckily, this lady heard my story, heard my situation. The concern she did have was that if I do take this away, I'm worried that it's not going to, you know, fix your cyclic vomiting, which is fair. And now speaking, she, I mean, she was, she was right, but I would say my cyclic vomiting is bad still, but with the combo of the periods and the cyclic vomiting on top of it, I don't think I would have survived. And so I, she had to write a letter. I remember she had to write a letter for me to, this is how shit's fucked up. This is becoming towards the end of 2020. I think I, we were working on the hysterectomy for months. It took a while for me to get approved and have it all done. So I think by summertime was when it was, the discussion was made and I did not have the operation till October and she had to write a letter I had to fill out a bunch of government paperwork and it was basically the government had to approve of me getting this operation done and there had to be enough um, stuff of with me going on for them to do it. Well, let's back right up before then your doctors, because you had vomited so much, you developed the you got you received several diagnoses mm-hmm. before then. Why don't you explain the diagnosis that you have had up until before your hysterectomy? Because yes, you you get diagnosed with cyclic vomiting. One thing is a period could set off because those of you that are not familiar with cyclic vomiting, pain is one one thing that can set off and trigger um, anything not correct in your body, your mental health, the food that you eat. So during that time, if you're vomiting for so many years, it has an effect on, on your body. There's different diagnosis that ended up happening with Jewel, which was kind of like what that one doctor says, a snowball effect. So why don't you just list before what you were diagnosed with before the hysterectomy? So, um, number one, um, I have always dealt with mental health issues due to stuff going on. But um, they always kind of put that into play with a lot of the issues that I was having. So I do have like three diagnoses of mental health, which I'm not afraid to talk to. I have severe um, depressive disorder. I also have PTSD and I also have an anxiety disorder. But those I've had for a while. So that I'll just scratch those ones right there at the top. And then before I had the hysterectomy and all this stuff, I have the dates too here so I can give you when I got diagnosed with it. So there's dysmenorrhea, which is just heavy periods and painful periods. And then I have here where I got diagnosed with cyclic vomiting, which was in 2019. And 
and they gird, which I feel like is a very basic um, thing where they kind of like anybody who they say have acid, that's just like the common thing, which is the gastro gastroesophageal reflux disease. And then in 2020, this was in August, I was diagnosed with a low serum thyroid stimulating hormone, which they've tested me multiple times, probably like three to four times. And um, it never got higher. And once they say that it never gets higher, it's never going to get high. You're always going to have a low one. And they never really did anything with that. With some of these diagnoses, they've never really done anything further with it. They have always been just more focused on my cyclic vomiting, which is totally fine. But now I'm having all these other health issues that I'm like, come on, give me some help. And so then um, I have the abdominal pain, all this stuff. And, and they, that was, that was all before. And then you got diagnosed with your blood, your blood issue too at that time. Yeah. And I believe right before I had the hysterectomy, they did another procedure through, this is the gastro doctor, the GI doctor, where they did an upper endoscopy. I believe this was before my hysterectomy because I've had a couple of them now. Um, they found because I was vomiting so, so much. I had, a, I don't know if I'm saying this right, esophagitis, esophagitis, so whatever that is, but without Barrett's, so that's better, but basically my whole esophagus was super inflamed and irritated. Yeah, so they were trying to keep the acid reduced as much as they could. I was on a lower type of antiacid, which was called pantoprazole, which seemed to do all right with some of my symptoms, but it still, I was, it doesn't take care of the vomiting. Yeah, so that was all there. And then. And you got to remember 2020, bam, everything shut down, man. Mm -hmm. Everything shut down. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you a story here what Joel had to go through several doctors, even during that time. Everything shut down, but she even lost her gynecologist doctor before her hysterectomy. Yeah, so my main gynecologist doctor. So then COVID hit, and during that time before they were trying to get um, the hysterectomy approved by the government, they were trying to shut her system down basically to not have a period, like she said, and the government denied her. Yeah. So before um, we resorted to the hysterectomy, like she said, they were wanting to give me this shot in my arm that would stop the production of the period of like my ovaries and my all that stuff. So like it would stop it. Um, we attempted that, I think, three times total. And every single time was denied, 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 denied. And so I, again, was like, I can't do this anymore. And like I said, this discussion was happening during summertime and I didn't get a procedure until towards the end of middle of October. So I ended up getting the procedure and any other women that have ever had to go through any sort of that procedure, any other type of tube tied, any of that understands that it's fucking ridiculous. The hoops and bounds you have to go through for your own body. 
um, it's just fucked up. For your own health. I feel like women are very well aware of what's going on with their body and what's best for their bodies. And when you have people say, no, 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 you don't know. No, you don't need that. Da, 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 da. No, no, I definitely needed it. Um, but I had that procedure, kept my ovaries. I still have my ovaries, both of them. Again, within that procedure, they had found that my uterus had adhered to my bowels. That was fun. Um, so basically, they were saying that with every procedure that I was having, so C-sections and all these procedures, a lot of my organs inside are sticking together and it's prone to do that. So for some reason, like my my innards are prone to sticking together. And so I had the hysterectomy. I think immediately, again, I was throwing up and it sucked because I just had this big, huge cut in me and multiple cuts and it was not fun. It was horrible. And I think I was in, I had to go back into the hospital. I came out and I had to go back in because of not feeling good and being in a lot of pain. I think even a week after that, I was in so much pain and they were suspecting that my organs had adhered to each other again. And, um, yeah, the recovery of that was not like a normal person's recovery. It was horrible. It was slow. And the only thing that I could say was I still had pain, but I wasn't bleeding. I wasn't having my period, I guess. Um, and I was very, very hopeful for this one because I think I had gone two to three months, maybe two months max without vomiting. And I was like, fuck yeah. I was like, I did it. And on my birthday, I remember on my birthday, I went in and had an episode. That was the continuation of when I was having one every single month. Yeah, she started having an episode every single month starting uh, in 2021, right? 2021, it it was her birthday of 2021. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, she started going in and having an episode every single month. During that time, there was, I was seeing quite a few doctors at this time, at this point, they were recognizing and seeing all different things happening with me. I had, I, I was starting to become in pain in every single joint of my body. I was in pain everywhere from head to toe, stomach, all this stuff. It was just horrible. I would see her waking up in the morning, even when she didn't have an episode and she couldn't stand up. Mm -hmm. She wasn't able to stand up when she first would get up in the morning and it took her almost half the day to even function. Yeah. I was referred to multiple doctors, all this stuff. They referred me to nutritionists to try and see like what diet I should go on if that's affecting everything, which just saying they did ass on that because they could have directed me into some other directions and they didn't. They, um, I feel like 2021 was a big learning curve and I'll get to 2022 because 
that's when I took my health into my own hands. And but 2021 was a bunch of learning and more diagnosis of stuff that was going on with me. I had to because I was I didn't have my periods, but I was still anemic. Um, I had iron deficiency anemia at this time. So this was a different type of anemia. And so I had to go in for an iron infusion. That motherfucking sucked. That shit hurts. Like it hurts. Like it hurts, hurts, hurts in my veins. And I was throwing up throughout the whole thing. And I remember hearing the nurses go, no, this is why she's here. She needs this. So I was throwing up during it as I'm getting the infusion. Which that was a very, I have to say, I don't know if it's the right word, but humbling experience because I was in the Knight Cancer Institute part of it where I was around cancer patients who were getting um, dialysis and all sorts of things that cancer patients get. And some of those would be the iron infusions and all that. So it was very humbling and seeing all sorts of walks of life going in there different ages too as well not just older people so it kind of puts life in perspective for you I feel like at least for me in that experience but that was a hard motherfucking thing that I that happened so I was referred to the rheumatoid arthritis doctor because of all this stuff that was going on with me they were like obviously regular doctors couldn't do anything with it and so I go see this guy and he diagnosed me with some stuff like immediately right then and there he had to do some tests as well and then I also had to go to physical therapy where I also got some diagnosis and all around the same time and this was a bunch that I got diagnosed at the same time so I got diagnosed with Raynaud's phenomenon whereas that that's the test they have to do they press on your skin and if it does a certain color and all this stuff you have it and Raynaud's is a cold sensitivity which I feel like I've had it for a while it's just actually getting diagnosed with it where it when it's cold you have like your fingers can turn purple and your toes turn purple and certain parts of your body turn like red and purplish and you just have sensitivity to cold and it hurts it makes me hurt at least but i think with the combination of these other diagnoses um it comes into play as well and i have hypermobility syndrome which is my joints overextend themselves it's i guess flexibility but hurts I also got diagnosed with just regular arthritis, not rheumatoid arthritis, but just arthritis. They, this was, this was where I went to physical therapy and this, they had to do this test where you like lay down and then sit up and you're on, like you have a blood pressure cuff on your arm and um, they discovered that I have POTS, which is postural, postural, orthostatic tachycardia syndrome uh, I also got some blood work done and they found that I that was where the start of where I had a vitamin d deficiency I can't keep vitamin d in and still to this day they've tested me and I lack thereof um and 
yeah i those... and that was just all right there so yeah just to recap how many diagnoses has she had already mm-hmm. it's several now right several different things going on yeah i kind of touched base on this before but after giving birth to my son um they had diagnosed me with tachycardia, which is increased heart rate. And I've had that ever since. And POTS with that, it's a fucking double whammy. It's fucking not fun. And I feel like a lot of these things kind of that I have attack each other, like arthritis and the rainids and all this stuff. It's like they they don't like to coexist. They make your life a living hell. And and she was blessed because her partner got exposed to COVID during the end of that year in uh, October. She was blessed that same year going through all that to get COVID. Yeah, I think it was a year after the hysterectomy. Um, yeah, my partner working where he worked. Don't need to bring it up, but brought us home COVID. He was like, here's a present. We were all like, fuck you. (laughs) That was not fun. That was so not fun. And getting COVID during that time, I feel like, I think I I recovered the best out of everybody, but who had it, I had it the worst. I could not get up. I could not move. I was hunched over like I was hunched back in Notre Dame. Could not get my fever to go away. Hard to breathe. All sort of like it attacked me everywhere. I th- I feel like this is how I could describe the COVID that we got. Was if you had any pre-existing shit going on before, it fucked you up in those areas. I lovely had an episode during that time of having COVID. And I went into the hospital and I'm sure my dad can recall this time because it was just a fucking lovely ass time that, I mean, totally understandable, but hospitals were way overworked with COVID happening and going on and all this stuff. So we were waiting until we got back into a thing. And I don't even think I got even into a room room. I got into like this like side room thing. I think we were waiting like five hours. It was four to five hours. When I tell you, we saw all sorts of fucked up shit going on in that waiting room. At this time, you guys weren't diagnosed with COVID yet. It was just me and Simon. And so you were in charge of taking care of the kids, everything. And like we were quarantined in our room. That was where I kind of noticed Oh shit, I think John's getting something because he wasn't doing good. He's he was shaking, he was getting cold, and I believe a day or two maybe after that was when you guys he got it first and then I think you were the you were the last one to get it. Yeah, I was the last one standing. But your kids got it before Yeah. Emma and Jackson had to go in because I noticed they had a fever and I had a mask on the whole time taking care of the little ones and let me tell you when they're like you need to keep the kids isolated away from everybody that was hard you know but when the day that Jackson got COVID that's when I feel like 
it was before he got tested, but when he started getting sick, that's when I would have, because I, I did hold him. Yeah. I did, you know, care for him. And I remember us as parents, cause me and Simon, we, it's hard. We can't even go a day without our kids. It's hard for us. So we went, I believe a whole week without seeing them. We could hear them, couldn't see them, couldn't hold them, couldn't do nothing. And I remember talking to their doctor and I said, they said, when they test positive for COVID, you can see them. And I, that was when I was like, when I got the call that they tested positive for COVID, I, there was two emotions going on. I felt horrible for them, but I also was excited and thrilled to be able to see them. I fucking ran in there and I hugged them and I just loved on them because I missed them. And that was when kind of duty switched where we took care of the kids because they were sick and then john was getting it then you didn't get it for a little while like you for some reason didn't get it for a little while and you were the last one to get it Mm -hmm. i think all of us experienced the no taste horrible taste food situation lack of oxygen yeah and the smell like you all, all those things but i thankfully got mine back before anybody else did i don't know about the kids the kids are hard to like know but i think emma dealt with it because she would say things tasted weird and then jackson would kind of refuse certain things that he already had eaten all this stuff um you and simon i feel like dealt with the taste of food longer you especially dealt with it and the smell longer than anybody Simon still struggles with certain meats to this day. Um, John's kind of lingered for a little while, but I feel like you two, you and Simon, it lasted longer within you two. So getting COVID in the mix of all that was not fun. There's a difference because I got long-term COVID. Like I still don't even have my taste all the way. Yeah. Um, And I feel like um, with some people that's the case where they their tastes are forever fucked up. And I know, I know of other people in our family that our nephew, um, on Simon's side, he can't eat pizza no more. He loved pizza. I mean, I mean, kids love pizza and he throws up. It like tastes like shit to him. And I feel so bad for him. So then, you know, recovery happened. I mean, I think we fuck, it was a fucking month or longer. Like it fucking, fucked this household up like we were fucked um i was recovering um getting better from that still having my episodes i i am now i think this was i was on to my third primary doctor because within covid a lot of doctors quit moved did certain situations so i was on to my third primary doctor and we are having this discussion and she goes have you ever been tested for this? I've always done a couple poop samples before. I've done many of them. They've had me do them many a times. And this time it was different. She was testing me for a certain thing, that being H. pyrily. And what do you know? I test positive for H. pyrily. I don't know how long it was in me for, I'm going to bring this up because it is related to this situation. Just at Christmas time, my uncle who works in the medical field, not 
he's not a doctor, but he is a research scientist. And so he knows a lot of things about understanding test results and all this stuff. So I had him look at a lot of my blood work. And from, I believe, shortly after Jackson was born, maybe the beginning of 2019, there was a consistency within my blood work that was saying that I was fighting some sort of infection or something within my body and it wasn't getting better because it was consistently for months and months and months and months still to this day from my even previously last episode. So he was saying like some, my white blood cell count was high and then there was another thing that was not normal as well. He and I were kind of thinking that is, was that the H. pyrily? And I've had it for this whole time and I didn't get tested until the beginning of 2022. And I would say after getting that diagnosis, uh, I was so, I was like giving up. I was in the headspace of where I was just giving up on life. I couldn't do it anymore. I always tried to think of my kids, but it was miserable. It's not a life to live. And I was just like, I'm done. Like, what, what the fuck do I do? And I think right before I got the H. pyrily and like in between COVID and the H. pyrily, that was where like the worst of my um, health depression was, was I was just like, I'm never going to get better. And I kept saying that out loud to everybody. I was like, kind of like jokingly, I'm, like, mm, I'm never getting better. I'm always going to be like this. I'm always going to feel like shit. I would always say all these mean things about myself. Then I got the H. pyrily diagnosis. We did a little bit of research of H. pyrily, what it is, what it does, all this stuff. I don't know what kicked into gear with me. I think we... Well, I can tell you what kicked into gear. You went to go... You They were going to treat you for H. pyrily, and you went to go fill the prescriptions. Mm-hmm. The Your pharmacist, that, that had been your pharmacist this whole time, is like, yo... I know what's wrong with you. You're not going to make it through this medication. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, why would my doctor prescribe this to me if I could not make it through the medication? Mm -hmm. I feel like from that day forward, that's when you started taking everything into your hands because you had gone through so many primary care doctors you were getting letters left and right. They weren't paying attention to what they were prescribing you at the time. And I feel like that's when something clicked in you. Well, and something that I forgot to bring up, but before I had gotten COVID, I believe in August, maybe a little before August, July, June, they wanted to do a colonoscopy on me. Oh, and that was kind of a huge indicator that my stomach was sensitive to a lot of things. I'm not like a normal person. I had the generalized prep for that colonoscopy. I had almost made it through the whole thing. I remember sitting in the counter. I think John was making food for something. My dad, I look at him. I'm like, John, I don't feel good. Like, 
don't feel good. And he's like, go to the bathroom. I, I, I didn't make, I mean, I made it to the bathroom, but I didn't make it to the toilet. I projectile vomited all over the bathroom, all over the bathtub, bath, back wall, the floor, everywhere. And could not stop. It was just kept coming out of me, kept coming out of me, kept coming out of me. And I couldn't breathe. I remember saying I, I tried, I was gasping for it. And it was like a hard voice that was coming out of my where I was like, I can't, I was trying to say I can't breathe. And then they, you guys assumed she can't fucking breathe. My dad was like, we can't fuck around. Call 911. Like she's not doing good. Like I remember him getting like, not mad, but he was like, this is serious. So we co- they called 911. Um, later, the doctors suspected that my vomit had went into my lungs. So I was, I can't think it's called aspirating or something like that, where it's like I wasn't breathing. It was vomit in my lungs. So it was clogging up everything, all this kind of stuff. That kind of forever made me scared of a lot of procedures or things that had to do associated with that. And I know I think that was a huge indicator where it's like, yeah, my stomach is sensitive to shit big time. I forgot to bring that up because that kind of has the association with the age priorly stuff as well. So fast forward, like you said, I get the prescriptions for the age priorly. And like you said, my pharmacist who I've had forever, unfortunately now he moved to a different pharmacy still same company but different pharmacy location he knew of all the prescriptions that i've had before he knows my diagnosis because it's in there in the computer system and he's looking at me and he's he's like these are for you and i'm like yeah my name that's my name (laughs) and he's like yeah he's like i don't know if you're gonna be able to tolerate this and i was like they want me to do it and da 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 da. And I believe I took that into play in my head. I did what the doctor said. I attempted to try it. And I believe the first dosage, maybe second, I fucking threw up, had an episode. It was called a triple, triple thing, but it was three antibiotics and an anti-acid. And so it was four medications. So it was a lot on my body. And so I was like, nope, can't fucking do that. Can't fucking do that because it trips me into an episode. I remember not even like just shortly after that where I mainly talked to you, not a lot of other people, but just mainly you, where I was like, what the fuck can I be doing differently? What can I be doing? Yeah. So in this next episode, we're going to talk about how she started to change her lifestyle of what she ate in a positive way that helped her carry on over. Also, we're going to try and cover how the episode that we did in 2022, how it affected her when after she did that episode and the people that came to her after that. Yes, and all of this stuff that is going to be said, none of it came from a doctor. (laughs) So this is my history of my knowledge and research that we have done. We did heavy, heavy research on cyclic vomiting, H. pyrrole, all these other things that I have that contribute to all this 
we figured it out. Not nobody else, me and my mother. It's like she said, it's going to be talking about food, lifestyle changes, and medications. So until next time, I'm Sarah. And I'm Jewel. Peace. Our show is produced by us. Our theme song is by Comeback Karma. Don't forget to like and subscribe.